Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Hello, listeners. Glad you could join us. Welcome to this week's podcast episode on Gargoyles and the Van Meter Visitor. Thanks for stopping by. So let me ask you, listeners, what do you know about gargoyles? I'm sure you know of them as stone statues that adorn many Gothic-style buildings. You may even be familiar with the popular cartoon from the mid-1990s. Why, there's even a Pokemon gargoyle named Gargriff. But what about real, living gargoyles? Have you heard stories about these? Stories of encounters with actual gargoyles? Is it possible they could exist? In this episode, we're going to take a hard look at exploring whether gargoyles, or at least some gargoyle-looking creatures, really do exist. We'll talk about actual sightings of large bat-winged creatures over the years that provide a tantalizing view into the random weirdness that exists in the world. Strange creatures that, well, shouldn't exist, but are often seen. We'll also delve into the background of gargoyles. Where do they come from? What is their purpose? And what do experts think they represent? And finally, we'll cover one of the strangest, most bizarre encounters ever during the turn of the 20th century in a small Iowa town. An event where subterranean gargoyles made a startling appearance. But first, we look at a truly terrifying encounter in the Sonoran Desert, which has its fair share of gargoyle sightings. Be wary of driving in the isolated and remote Arizona desert late at night. Saturday, June the 5th, 1982, 10 p.m. Just outside of Yuma, Arizona, Rick Oppenheim and Tommy Bochamp are on a road trip from Chicago to California. It is the second night of their trip. Within sight of the lights of Yuma, Arizona, they had pulled over and stopped out on Interstate 8 to check their location and bearings. As Tommy stretched his legs in the warm desert night, he looked out at some rock formations and saw something odd. Sitting near the top of a rock formation was the clear outline of a gargoyle in the moonlight. Tommy thought it looked just like a gargoyle seen on a church or old building. He thought it was really amazing someone would come out to the desert and carve a gargoyle into the rock. He thought it was truly beautiful. Then it spread its wings and flew up into the night. He ran screaming back to the car and told Rick, who did not believe him, until he looked up and saw it circling directly over the top of them. They jumped into the car and took off. Giant bat wings swooped just over the windshield. They tried to convince themselves it was just a giant bat, then something sideswiped the car and sent it into a skid 
into the desert sand. Still in gear, the car stalled and came to a stop. After what seemed like an eternity, Rick and Tommy got the vehicle back on the road. Rick handed Tommy a flashlight and told him to shine it at the creature if it reappeared. Just as the car started to roll forward, a giant shadow dropped down next to the passenger door. Reflexively, Tommy shined the light at it, and the light fell upon a yellow-eyed, leather-faced, red, devil-horned gargoyle. They kept driving right past Yuma and made it to L.A. They are convinced something lives out in that desert. Is it possible it's a living, breathing gargoyle? So what exactly are gargoyles? Well, you're probably most familiar with them as stone sentinels on the tops of buildings. Bear with me here for just a few moments as we go into a little bit of history and background. Around the 13th century, European architects had a problem to solve. How do they funnel rainwater off the tops of church roofs without running the water down the side of the stone or brick? Too much water pouring down the side of the building could weaken and damage the stone structure. What was needed was a way for the water to flow in a spout away from the exterior. Craftsmen carved large, imposing-looking stone demons with their neck and heads leaning over the edges of the buildings. The rainwater would collect and pour out of the creature's mouths onto the street below. So, specifically in Gothic architecture, a gargoyle is a carved or formed grotesque with a spout designed to convey water from a roof and away from the side of a building. Architects often used multiple gargoyles on a building to divide the water or rain flow off the roof to minimize the potential damage from a rainstorm. Gargoyles are usually an elongated fanciful animal because the length of the gargoyle determines how far water is directed from the wall. This function, technically speaking, distinguishes gargoyles from other stone beasts like grotesques and bosses, although these days the term encompasses all sorts of decorative creature carvings. The word gargoyle derives from the French gargoui, meaning throat. By the way, it's also where we get the word gargle from. This would appear to take its inspiration from the statue's water-siphoning gullets, but in fact the name comes from the French legend of La Gargouille, a fearsome dragon that terrorized the inhabitants of the town of Rouen. For centuries, according to the story, the dragon swallowed up ships and flooded the town until around the year 600, when a priest named Romanus came along and agreed to vanquish the beast in exchange for the townspeople's conversion to Christianity. La Gargoui is said to have been the typical dragon with bat-like wings, a long neck, and the ability to breathe fire from its mouth. Multiple versions of the story are given, either that St. Romanus subdued the creature with a crucifix, or he captured the creature with the help of the only volunteer available, a condemned man. In either case, Romanus tamed the dragon and then led it into town where it was burned at the stake. The creature's head, however, would not burn due to being tempered by its own fire breath. So the townspeople cut it off and affixed it to their church. The Gargoui head became a protection against evil and a warning to other dragons. Although the name gargoyle dates back just a few centuries, the practice of crafting decorative animal-themed drain sprouts reaches back several millennia. The ancient Egyptians had a thing for lions, as did the Romans and the Greeks. 
and the oldest gargoyle-like creation is a 13,000-year-old stone crocodile discovered in Turkey. So the gargoyles emerged as popular church additions around the year 1000, while the church in the legend of La Gargoui used a dragon's head to protect the building. Many holy structures used gargoyles to terrify citizens into attending services. Because most medieval Europeans were illiterate, the clergy needed visual representations of the horrors of hell to drive people to the sanctuary of the church. Placing gargoyles on the building's exterior reinforced the idea that evil dwelt outside the church while salvation dwelt within. Arthur Gary Varner says in his book Gargoyles, Grotesques, and Green Men, how better to enforce church attendance and docility than providing a daily reminder of the horrors to come. Churches would also model gargoyles after the creatures worshipped by pagan tribes, thinking this would make their houses of worship appear more welcoming to them. It was a bit of clever marketing that worked, according to scholar Darlene True Christ. Churches grew in number and influence as the pagan belief system and many of its images were absorbed into Christianity, she wrote in American Gargoyles, Spirits and Stone. So, over the years, the term gargoyle has come to include all types of images. Some gargoyles were depicted as combinations of real animals and real people. Some were even humorous. Unusual animal mixtures, or chimeras, are more properly called grotesques. They serve as ornamentation, but are now popularly called gargoyles as a catch-all term. Okay, okay, enough of the history lesson. With that background, let's get back to real gargoyles. There have been many sightings over the years, and even recently, of strange creatures that fly, and in appearance at least, seem to be gargoyles. In Kentucky, a gargoyle-like creature known as the Demon Leaper is one of the most unusual stories the Bluegrass State has to offer. Gargoyles perched on the side of the Victorian Gothic Walnut Street Baptist Church in Louisville were built around 1902 and seemed to peer over the sidewalks, keeping watch over the parishioners and the neighborhood. Historian and author David Domini says, People looking up to the spires for a number of generations now have reported sightings of a strange gargoyle-like creature. Some people thought it was one of the gargoyles on the spires that came to life, he explained. The demon leaper seems to have attributes much like these same gargoyles perched along the church's rooftop. It's a bat-like creature with leathery skin, wings and claws and talons, and it's been seen to hop along the roof, Domini says. The creature was often seen on the rooftop of Walnut Street Baptist Church, but its wings gave it the ability to travel, to fly. It's been seen on other structures' rooftops as well. Louisville's Demon Leaper was famous enough that the accounts of the creature made its way into the headlines of the New York Times. The Courier-Journal and the Madisonville Times also kept track of the winged creature. Domini notes, for the most part, he's pretty harmless from what I can tell. He's never really hurt anyone. He would poke people and scratch people. In Pennsylvania, Rick Fisher, founder of the National Museum of Mysteries and Research Center in Columbia, received a report from February the 23rd, 2008, about eight miles outside of Harrisburg. A man reported seeing a huge creature glide along above his truck on a rural roadway at 35 to 40 miles per hour. He stopped the truck in time to exit the vehicle and watch the creature disappear over a tree line. He described the creature's flight as gliding or soaring with no perceptible flapping of its wings.
The creature had an almost prehistoric look about it, according to the witness. Some reports in southwestern Pennsylvania have described the creatures as large gargoyles, which is understandable given the portrait of gargoyles created by thousands of statues in ancient paintings as a winged, somewhat reptilian creature that stands on two legs. The location of our episode's first story, the Sonoran Desert, is an extreme place. It covers large parts of the southwestern United States and northwestern Mexico. It is a severe and shadowy land filled with beauty and with danger. Temperatures are extreme. There are violent monsoons that bring flash floods and sandstorms that blot out the sun. Large spiders, scorpions, rattlesnakes, centipedes, and gila monsters call the desert home. It is all part of the desolate territory. But is there something else there living out of sight in the barren landscape? In his book, Sightings, Sonoran Gargoyle, author J.F. Roto-Rome says tales of strange winged creatures in this part of the country go back to Native American legend. They tell of a creature ruling over the land that is something ancient and powerful, a secretive thing rarely seen that lives among the cacti, beneath the brutal rocks and flies above the sweeping dunes. It is known as the Sonoran Gargoyle. Here are two more sighting stories from Rome's book. Saturday, August the 8th, 1987 at 2 p.m. while driving through Pima County, Arizona. Witnesses, Joseph Montano, Joaquin Rahal, Father Matteo Gisbert, Manuel Claveria. We were on a family vacation driving to Anaheim, California to my cousin's house in Houston, Texas. We took Interstate 10 south past the Salton Sea down to Yuma and spent the night. It was hot as hell. We then drove on to 10 south out of Phoenix to Tucson to spend the night there and see some observatory sightseeing stuff. Then on to Houston. Well, we got a late start on our third day, and as we took the 10 south through the Sonoran Desert and just outside of a place called Benson, we passed a desert hillside covered with cactus. And there, moving up toward the top of the hill, were these enormous horns. Well, look at that, my dad said. You just never know what you might see on the road. I think that's a bighorn. I looked up from my Marvel comic book and saw the thing up there in the sunset. And just as we passed it, my dad tells me, Can you see it? Behind the hill. I moved my head around and saw a huge horned animal all right. A giant red and black monster with wings. I started screaming. My mom and sister seemed annoyed, but my dad looked back, then pulled the car off the road. He couldn't see the hill, and it was just too far back to walk by the time he pulled over. It was getting late, and my dad had a schedule to keep, so we didn't go back. As I got older, I never gave up the story. I know what I saw, even if it was just a couple of seconds. My dad came to believe what I saw. Sunday, July 17th. 2000 at approximately 7.30 p.m. Gila Bend, Arizona. Witnesses, Paul Kirk and Donnie McCartney. On a clear night, the two men stood there watching the red sunset burn the sky up behind the profile of cactuses in 95-degree heat. Then, one of the cactuses on the distant horizon opened giant bat wings and flew off.
Okay, so finally we come to the granddaddy of them all for gargoyle incidents, reported by multiple solid and impeccable witnesses and accompanied by enough action and gunfire to satisfy a John Wick fan. The Van Meter Visitor is one of the most infamous and fascinating cases within all of paranormal and supernatural reporting. It is truly bizarre. So, Van Meter, Iowa, lies about 20 miles west of Des Moines. At the time of this incident, the Midwest town had a population of about 400 people. The city was named for Jacob Rhodes Van Meter and his family, Dutch settlers from Metteren, the Netherlands. Van Meter was incorporated on December 29, 1877. Nestled in the rolling hills of Dallas County along the banks of the Raccoon River, Van Meter has a long history as a rail community that was shielded from growth in the past despite its proximity to Des Moines. Over the course of five nights in September and October 1903, several of Van Meter's most upstanding citizens reported seeing a half-human, half-animal creature with enormous bat wings fly above the city. Multiple people reported seeing the nearly nine-foot-tall creature it flew overhead and jumped from rooftop to rooftop at incredible speeds, releasing a horrendous stench. All the while, it shot bolts of light from a horn on its forehead. The bizarre account recalls how several of the locals attempted to shoot the beast, but their gunfire didn't appear to have any effect. Shots were fired each time it was encountered, first by implement dealer U.G. Griffith, as it flew across building tops. The monster shrugged the bullet strikes off like a minor nuisance. The projectiles did not harm it. The next night, the town doctor and bank cashier, Clarence Dunn, was an eyewitness to the creature's visits and took a plaster cast of a three-toed footprint it left behind. He also opened fire, failing to do any damage to the creature. The following night, O.V. White, reportedly a deadly shot with a gun, was awakened from his slumber in his quarters above the hardware store and shot at the creature that was perched atop a telephone pole. He watched, stunned, as the creature grabbed the pole with its beak and shimmied down to the ground. As White shot at the creature, the shooting awakened Sidney Gregg, who had been sleeping in his store nearby. Greg said the monster hopped like a kangaroo. Even the local high school teacher saw it and likened it to a devil, deeming it some sort of antediluvian monster. Fed up with the menace, a group of townsfolk banded together one evening and pursued the creature to an abandoned coal mine. Much like the pitchfork and torch gatherings of villagers in an old horror movie, Back then, townsmen were not adverse to taking up arms and forming a posse. So to the northwest side of Van Meter they charged, near the old brickyard, where J.L. Platt Jr. heard a noise down by the abandoned coal mine. Presently, the noise opened up again as though Satan and a regiment of imps were coming forth for battle, according to an article in the Des Moines Daily News on October the 3rd, 1903. There they confronted not one, but two of the beasts emerging from the cave. 
in a flash of light and leaving behind an odor that left those in attendance stunned, reports said. The two creatures flew away to escape the crowd, flying away from the mine to parts unknown. The men speculated, correctly as it turned out, that the creatures would surely return to the mine. So they set up and waited through the night to ambush the creatures upon their return. Sure enough, around dawn, the creatures winged their way back to the mine. The men opened fire with a terrible barrage of gunfire. However, the two creatures did not seem to take much notice. There was reported to be an unearthly noise and peculiar odor from the beasts. However, both creatures turned and disappeared down into the gloom of the mine as the men continued to fire with no effect. Once they descended into the mine, the men got to work, sealing the creatures inside the mine. The two gargoyle-like beasts were never seen again, but that doesn't mean other similar creatures have been absent. People still report seeing the creature, or at least creatures that are very similar. In the 1980s, a man who had just moved to the area and hadn't heard about the legend was walking near the coal mine and reportedly saw a five-foot-long bat-like creature fly over his head. Then in the 2000s, another man and his family were driving home to Van Meter when they spotted what they said was a giant bird-like creature dead on the side of the road. When the man went back to investigate, the creature was gone. In 2006, a pastor waiting for a friend in Colfax, Iowa, spotted what he thought was a dragon in the sky. When he returned home, he googled Iowa Dragon and came across a picture of what he had spotted, the Van Meter visitor. Later, in 2014, a couple camping in Iowa City reported an encounter with a giant prehistoric bird-like creature. And finally, in 2020, in Boone, Iowa, someone reported seeing another giant prehistoric bird-like creature claiming when it flapped its huge wings, all I could see was light, dark, light, dark, and it was a huge whoosh, whoosh, whoosh that I heard. So was the Van Meter visitor real? Well, it depends on your belief system. I know there's good and I know there's evil, local librarian Jelena Walker said. I believe there's a god, so I believe there's a demon, and I'm saying it was evil. It is important to note here that at no time was there ever a report that the Van Meter visitor was anything other than just that, a visitor. There were no reports of it attacking or harming anyone, although it certainly scared the general public to the extreme. Walker even drove the gravel road out to the abandoned brick plant. I never want to go up there again, I can tell you that, she said. Chad Lewis, noted paranormal researcher and author, wrote about the incident with co-authors Noah Voss and Kevin Lee Nelson in 2013 in The Van Meter Visitor, A True and Mysterious Encounter with the Unknown. Lewis ran through the likely scenarios. A hoax was dismissed. What dressed-up prankster could survive the firepower that had been leveled at the creature by the townspeople? Lewis found the local news article from that time and was struck by the fact that such prominent men would put their names to such a story. These weren't town drunks, he said. 
Those guys would not have wanted that publicity, Librarian Walker said of eyewitness accounts of the time. Lewis traveled to Van Meter and, with the help of local librarian Walker, also found the legend had survived the generations in the town's centennial book. Old-timers remember it, she said, though their opinions of its authenticity vary. A strange, unknown creature could have emerged from the mine, but there is no proof of it. Lewis still hopes that Clarence Dunn's plaster cast is in a Van Meter attic somewhere. It was an era when anything was possible. Science was starting to gain momentum. In fact, they had just discovered the mountain gorilla, so the beast in the jungle was real, he said. People were open to the fact that anything could happen. Lewis, in researching his book, says he has found no evidence to suggest the monster was a hoax, although he does believe the facts of the story may have been embellished over the years. He told the Des Moines Register that even though he said he's unsure what happened those fall nights in 1903 in Van Meter, seeking the answer was more important than finding it. People were open to the fact that anything could happen. Though he found little more than the legend in visiting the mine location, he also found unease. John Youngman is a farmer who owns the pasture where the coal mine is covered up. He took Lewis out to examine it, and he told Lewis... He's always had an uneasy feeling about the place. Postscript. The Van Meter Visitor Festival, after a brief hiatus because of the pandemic last year, made a triumphant return this year on September 25th. The first festival was held in 2013, and every September since, the Van Meter Visitor Festival has celebrated the strange and spooky legend of the gargoyle-looking creature first appearing in 1903. The festival features games, food, tours, and lots of guest speakers from the world of the strange and paranormal. Sounds like my kind of gig. And if it sounds like fun for you as well, mark your calendar early for the festival's return on Saturday, September the 24th, 2022, I'll post a link to the festival Facebook page in the show notes for you. So, pretty weird stuff, right? I mean, so we'll ask the question, do gargoyles really exist? Well, I mean, it's possible. Anything's possible. We do know animals have been discovered before in the wild that were thought to only be myths or folklore. Rumors and reports of a strange white bear found in Chinese mountains were regarded as myths until 1869, when French missionary Armand David sent the skin of a hunted specimen to Europe. It was only then that pandas were finally accepted by scientists as a real animal. The okapi was well known to the ancient Egyptians and to the pygmies who lived in the same Central African forests. Europeans, however, didn't believe the pygmies' stories. They considered the opaki to be a mythical creature and even called it the African unicorn. Now, the giraffe was once a mythical animal. And, hey, you have to admit that if you didn't know giraffes and someone just showed you a drawing of one, you'd probably have trouble believing that it was a real animal. I mean, just take a look at them. They're very strange-looking animals. While familiar to the ancient Egyptians, the Greeks thought of the giraffe as a legendary beast, the camelopard which was said to be the result of the mating of a camel and a leopard. Even though giant squids were reported by Aristotle and Pliny the Elder, 
they were so fantastic that even later scientists still had trouble believing in their existence. In 1861, the crew of the Alecton Dispatch steamer had a close encounter with a giant squid and even managed to get hold of a piece of its tail. However, they were ridiculed by scientists who told them that such a creature was against the very laws of nature. Even today, the giant squid maintains its semi-legendary status. We all know it exists, but it has been called the most elusive image in natural history. Komodo dragons had been reported before, and that eventually led to rumors of land crocodiles and prehistoric monsters roaming Komodo and the nearby islands. In 1910, a Dutch lieutenant went to the island and got evidence of the creature's existence, a photo, and the skin of a gigantic lizard. And, of course, there are gorillas. As famous as gorillas are today, there was a time in which they were no more than a myth. Explorers would return from African jungles and tell stories about hairy, giant man-beasts of terrible strength and temper with a nasty habit of abducting women. Such stories were dismissed by scientists as nonsense, and as a result, the gorilla was unknown to science until fairly recently. So, yeah, there are examples out there of mythological beasts that later stepped into the reality of our world. Of course, uh, that argument could apply to any cryptid beast you would care to name. Bigfoot, dogmen, giant birds, lake monsters, phantom cats, even El Chupacabra. But in the case of gargoyles, there is such a pervasive link to the stone representations that adorn our buildings even today that it's intriguing to wonder, just to wonder, if maybe there's something ancient out there that inspired their creation. You know, that old adage about myths and legends having some basis in fact. And maybe, just maybe, that something may still be out there, alive and flapping its large bat-like wings in our world even today. And now it's time for the episode quiz. So our quiz is just one of many activities we do out on our Facebook page. That's the Paranormal Factor podcast on Facebook. And we do things throughout the week every single day. So Mondays are Monster Mondays. We highlight a, a monster uh, each week. Tuesday, as I mentioned, is the quiz. Wednesday, we highlight a paranormal book or film. Thursday, we try to give you some current events, relatively current within the last few months or so of paranormal things going on out in the world. And then Friday, of course, we go ahead and post the latest uh, episode. And in the episode, as we're doing today, you get the answer to Tuesday's quiz that's posted out on the Facebook page. So without further ado, Tuesday's question was, telekinesis is defined as what? Telekinesis is defined as what? A, moving objects with the mind. B, reading others' thoughts. C, a means of astral projection. Or D, latest development in televisions. Spoiler alert, it's probably not that last one. So again, telekinesis is defined as what? 
moving objects with the mind, reading others' thoughts, a means of astral projection, or the bogus latest development in televisions? Well, the answer is... Moving objects with the mind. By the way, if you picked B, reading others' thoughts, that's actually telepathy. Telekinesis is close to psychokinesis, but they're not exactly the same thing. So psychokinesis is when you use your own mind to influence the mind of another living being to take a certain action. For example, you might use your psychokinetic abilities to have your partner bring you the TV remote. Telekinesis, on the other hand, is the ability to move inanimate objects with the power of your mind. So instead of influencing your partner to bring you the TV remote, you instead levitate the remote to bring it to you. And while these powers are on full display and often used in the Marvel Universe, not so much in ours. Psychokinesis experiments have historically been criticized for lack of proper controls and repeatability. There is no good evidence that psychokinesis is a real phenomenon, and the topic is generally regarded as pseudoscience. Now, does that mean it absolutely does not exist? No. While it has been scientifically proven that humans using only 10% of their brain is clearly false, the mind is still an extremely complex organ, and we're still learning about it. Now, would you mind passing me that pencil over there? No need to get up. Let me give you just a short teaser on our next episode. That's going to be episode number seven for us. And that next episode is going to be all about BEKs, also known as black-eyed kids. We'll delve into the history of BEKs, which goes back actually farther than you may know. And of course, we'll have some chilling actual encounters to share. So please join us next week for a close encounter with the disturbing entities, black-eyed kids. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.